I'm Dennis Levick. This is my lovely wife, Tracy. Hi, I'm John Rudnick. We're Barry and Anita Chenault. My name's Edward Devlin. My name is Rosalie Devlin. Hi, we are Brent and Sheila Howell. My name is Matt Leesman. Hi, my name is Hannah Rollins. My name's Chad Peterson. Prayer to me is something that I, I struggle with in the way that I feel like I have to have some kind of formal conversation with God. And it's not having that formal conversation. It's just talking to Him from your heart. Uh, we do it differently. She likes to have the door closed, the Word open. I talk to God. I know my pathway to God is through Jesus. But I talk to God like He's my friend. I know that He is the God that sees us. He is the God that knows our names. He's the God that knows what we're doing at all times. Um, having a small group, uh, it just seemed like the right thing to do. We feel so at home here that we want to branch out. We want to, you know, invite people who want to participate in small group. Uh, we want to bring people who may not um, come to the church. It's very important to be connected to people who love Christ and have the same wants and needs as far as the fellowship and, you know, being obedient to God. Amen. We're going to see a story from various people across the four campuses of Coastal over these next eight weeks. And so I'm really, really grateful for uh, the way God continues to use Coastal to change people's lives. So let me give you a little bit of, of, of uh, vision for where we're headed as we move on through the remainder of the year. We are going to finish this series and then have a couple of weeks that we'll be talking about Thanksgiving as we move toward that. And then during the Christmas season, actually beginning the Sunday right after Thanksgiving, we're going to do a five-week series on Advent. So uh, if you've been at Coastal for very long, you know we've been using the Advent candles. Uh, we did that for a few years, and then we started adding in readings from Scripture so we could talk about it. We're going to spend five weeks discussing why do we even use this Advent candle. Some of you are uh, not as familiar about that as others. So here's what I want you to think about. I want you to start thinking as you pray and as you evangelize, because the second half of this series is going to be on evangelism, who am I going to invite to come with me during the Christmas season, especially to our Christmas Eve service? Christmas Eve services at Coastal are super, super uh, meaningful. Uh, we do candlelight and the whole bit. It's really, really a wonderful time. So I want you to begin praying now as we, as we talk about this business of an open door. We believe God has given us an open door in many places where we already are and as, as Coastal continues to look to the future in places that we do not yet exist with a campus and God is continuing to bless us. So it's exciting day. So we're going to spend the next four Sundays talking about the Lord's Prayer, particularly as it's recorded in Matthew's Gospel and that is in chapter 6. So while you're finding your way there, let me remind you of a couple of things. Small group season begins this week. I should have brought my uh, 
bulletin up with me, but you pick up a card on your way in that is serves as your bulletin for some announcements. And on the flip side is the outline to the sermon where you can fill in the blanks and take some notes. And that's your preparation for your small group. During the next eight weeks, all the small groups will be discussing the text that we preach on Sunday at the next small group meeting that they have. So you're prepared for small group by attending corporate worship. Take some notes, jot down questions. If I am unclear, ask your small group leader. Maybe they'll be able to explain it better, okay? I'm totally on board with that. Uh, discuss it with your group. We want our small groups to be about fellowship, about accountability, about how to interact with the scriptures. How do I take what that guy says behind that lectern every Sunday? How do I take that and make use of it on Wednesday afternoon when I'm at work or with my family or wherever I am? So that's our intention in small groups. So use that bulletin, pull that thing out, keep that handy. Secondly, I want to let you remind you again about next Sunday. We are coastal. This is the place where you find out everything you need to know to become a part of Coastal Church. You are not obligated once you go through that class to become a part of Coastal Church. It isn't essential that you do, but we hope that everyone who comes will do that. But you'll, you will hopefully have no unanswered questions. It's a long thing. We have dinner provided. We'll start about noon. We'll finish up about three o'clock in the afternoon. If you have kids, bring them. We have child care provided, and uh, you'll meet some of our staff, and we'll just uh, give you everything you need to know about how you can partner with Coastal uh, and make this your church, not only your place to attend, but your church family. So I hope you will be here. And honestly, if you haven't been in a long time, some of you have been around Coastal for like ever, right? And uh, it's been a long time. We Are Coastal is different than it used to be. So if you're interested in coming again, sign up. That's totally okay. We just need to know. Don't show up because uh, we order food for this thing and we want to make sure we have enough, okay? All right, good deal. Ladies, okay, this is, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not a competition, of course, but our first men's breakfast, I counted 18. Uh, our first ladies' brunch is going to be on Saturday the 24th at 10 o'clock. So you just take that into account. Let's just see what we do. It's going to be a great, great time of fellowship. I hope you'll be here, ladies. 10 o'clock in the morning and... Uh, have your hubbies stay home if you have kids and watch the kiddos, all right? Uh, then the last thing, and I think we have pictures of this, I hope, of our backpack ministry. We talked about that for weeks on end, right? Had people going, collect, get backpacks, collect school supplies. Uh, we had the opportunity to participate with Mary Jackson Elementary School and uh, I forget the other one. I'm sorry. There we go. Uh, so we sent supply, and we, we gave uh, supplies that would help like 50, 60 kids and some teachers, and we were able to collect and give a great deal of stuff. Uh, we got a really nice thank you note, and I had a picture of it from, uh, uh, from Mary Jackson Elementary just thanking us for our participation with their kids. These are the ways we get engaged, and I just want you to know it was really successful uh, thanks for your participation in it. We made an impact, and we're going to keep doing those kind of things, okay? All right, an open door. That is the theme of this thing. As we're getting underway, I, wanted, I want to acknowledge something kind of up front that uh, some of you may look at even this first section of Scripture because I'm going to do the second half of verse 9 for an entire sermon, okay? 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? So I want to acknowledge up front that for some of you, when you think of the term father, it does not conjure up pleasant memories for you. I get that for some of you it was difficult, right? But I want to tell you, with my dad, it was not a difficult relationship. We had a very close relationship. For many years, um, I lived distant from my folks. My dad had been a pastor for all of his life and all of my life, or so for many years. And uh, when we began to be in ministry and moved away, we just were never close geographically to them. And so uh, we'd get to see them once or twice a year, and then it was all phone calls. And so in the later, the latter years of their life, they moved down here to Hampton Roads to live near us and participated in a, another local church here with us. And uh, then they moved after my mom passed away, which was here eight or so years ago. My dad moved back upstate New York with my sister. So you're all familiar with the, the boredom at, is the nice way to discuss what happens when you're on Route 64 at 4 o'clock in the afternoon on the other side of the tunnel, right? Um, boredom is a polite word, I realize, and since we're in church, let's stick with that. But uh, I got in a habit every time I had to be across the water and, and, and through the tunnel and coming back home in the afternoon and I was sitting in three or five or six miles of traffic or whatever it was, I would call my dad. It was really interesting after he passed away, went home to heaven some four or five years ago, Still to this day, when I'm traveling back from the south side, I have an instinct to call my dad because there was this connection that we had that we would talk at that time, among other times. So it's it's really fascinating to me how how deeply that burned itself. The first time it happened, I thought, wow, I don't even know where that came from. So there is something about a good relationship with a father that is a very powerful thing. And that's what we're going to spend our time on today. But there is so much in this passage of scripture. Jesus was dedicated to prayer. Isn't that interesting? We, we say that we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. Of course, Jesus didn't have to do that because he was Jesus. So he talked to his Father and did it all the time. Right, he, we, we have records of him waking up a, a great while before day and going out and finding a quiet, solitary place and praying by himself because once his day started, it was crowds all day long. Right, So there is this unique, tender, fatherly relationship that Jesus shared with, with God the Father. And his disciples began to observe him with praying. And it was common for, an, for a rabbi to teach his disciples. This was not an uncommon relationship that Jesus had with his disciples. It was common for them to teach their disciples how to pray. So John's disciples did that. Uh, they came to John, and John was teaching them how to pray. And Jesus' disciples said to him, would you teach us how to pray? And that's where we are in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to study Jesus' response to them. Many people call it the Lord's Prayer. Uh, many people use it. They recite it. We have many times memorized it. 
Uh, we have most of us memorized it in the King James Version. It'll sound a little different, especially at the end of it in this particular translation in the ESV. But we're very familiar many times with this prayer. And, and here's the danger, and I'll, I'll address it in a second because Jesus warns of the danger of it. When we have something that we repeat a lot, we tend to forget how powerful uh, the meaning is behind what we're saying. So that's what we want to do. We're going to slow down, and for four Sundays, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to begin, uh, on the screen is just verse 9, but I'm going to begin in verse 5 so I can give you a little bit of the, the context. They have asked, and he, Jesus says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I'm going to stop right there. There is so much in that sentence. I want you to think with me about a few things, but I want to point out this. This isn't Jesus telling us what to pray. He isn't giving us a list of things to include in every prayer. He's telling us how to pray. How do we develop biblically informed, God-honoring prayers? That's what this is about. This is a model that Jesus gave to them. And he began with this phrase, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So I want to I say to begin with that this is a in contradiction to two other types that we read that Jesus mentioned, right? The, the ostentatious prayer. Have you, have you heard people who, when they step up to pray, all of a sudden even their tone changes? Oh, God our Father, we thank you, right? I mean, there's something about this, like you have to talk differently when you're talking to God. And I think in their heart, they're not trying to be obnoxious. I think they're trying to be reverent, but there's, there's something about it. But there are some people who just love to pray, and they, they go on and on and on, right? And they, he's talking about the Pharisees who used to love to go down on the street corner, and they'd have their, their robes and all of their stuff, and they'd stand on the corner, and they would just start to pray, and, and they wanted to be seen, for their prayers, or the repetitious prayers. And that's the dangerous part, right? There's certainly nothing wrong with, with using the Lord's Prayer as part of your worship, part of your liturgy, perhaps. Uh, nothing at all wrong with that. We have many prayers in the Scriptures uh, that Paul writes them down, says, here's what I pray for you. And, and we use them, and I have used them in my own prayer life. There's nothing wrong with repeating someone else's prayer but it is the empty repetition of praying without really thinking about what I'm saying that Jesus is warning against. And so he does this, and he begins with a worthy father and a humble child. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So you notice it begins with the background to it, right? This kind of prayer begins with the background of a relationship. Our Father, 
Now, Jesus is not telling everybody in the world to pray like this. He's telling his disciples, here's how you ought to pray. Recognize that the fact that you get to go and talk to God is based on your relationship with him. What are some things that we know about this? It is our Father in heaven. So I, I got to begin with the fact that it's very personal. When I go to, to prayer and I begin to talk to the God of the universe, it is a personal thing. He is my Father. How do you get personal in your relationship with God? I don't know how to get past this first piece without talking about the gospel, right? If I've never acknowledged my sinfulness before this holy God, which we'll talk about in a minute, if I've never recognized that I don't measure up and I'm not worthy to be in his presence, if I've never taken care of that problem, then the rest of the prayer is really kind of pointless. It's just vain repetition. So we have to talk about the gospel because all of us are sinners. None of us deserves to come into the presence of God to pray except through Jesus, right? Our sin separates us from God. He is holy, we are not. He is perfect, we are certainly not. So we don't get to just waltz into God's presence and start talking and assume he's going to listen. We have to be related to him. It has to be personal. So we have this understanding that we are sinners and we are separated from God. And so we have to come through Jesus. Jesus, God the Son, came to earth, lived the perfect life that no matter how hard I try, I would never be able to do. Even if I start now and try my best till I die, it's not going to happen. I cannot live a perfect life. There's still too much residual stuff. Jesus did live a perfect life. And then he died on the cross, paying the penalty for sin. And then he was buried. And then on the third day, he came back to life again. That's the gospel. Paul describes it. He, he came, he died, he was buried. He came back to life again. Actually, literally came back to life again. When a dead person comes back to life again, we listen up, right? Or we should. That's the gospel. Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. He lived the life I could never have lived. He died, was buried, and came back to life again, paying the penalty for sin. What do I do? I receive Christ. I trust him as my only hope of salvation. So this prayer begins with the gospel. I have to be in a personal relationship with God to be able to come to him and say, my father. So if you're here and that's never happened to you, that's step one. That's step one of this whole series. Trusting in Jesus, repenting of your sin, acknowledging that you're a sinner, repenting of your sin, believing in the gospel, trusting in Christ, receiving him as your savior. Man, I want to talk to you about that. Our prayer team that'll be up here toward the end of the service would be happy to talk to you about that if that's a, a situation you need to resolve today. So it's it's personal. But secondly, there's something here that's very transcendent, right? This is our Father in heaven. This is not like me calling my dad. This is not just me stopping by my parents' house and saying, hey, how you doing? This is a 
transcendent picture of God in heaven. It's interesting to me that the reason I think that that doesn't so powerfully impact us is we have spent a lot of time understanding the intimate nature of our relationship with God. And we go to the New Testament word Abba, which in certain respects sounds much like dad. But in doing that, we cannot forget the transcendence of God, that he is above all things. In fact, here's how Isaiah wrote it in in the 55th chapter of his prophecy. God speaking says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So when I come to prayer and I'm realizing there's something going on in my life and I just don't really understand, it's okay. My thoughts are not as high as God's. I can't figure out everything God can. And it is part of my understanding that he is high and lifted up. And I think that should develop in us a sense of awe. Every time we pray, I think we should come first with a sense of awe. Paul talked about this in Romans 11, and he said it this way, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. Paul is in the midst of talking about the gospel in Romans 11 and how God crafted this process by which he would bring the Gentiles in to be with the Jews in the people of God. He goes on to say, Who has ever given God a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. If, you go, if we had the time to go back in that context, Paul almost stops mid-sentence talking about the amazing thing that God has done and breaks out into this ascription of praise to the Lord. Because God is transcendent. So it's personal, it's transcendent. And thirdly, there is something about it that's very familiar, right? Our Father who is in heaven. Again, I know for some that isn't necessarily a positive thing. But I want you to remember this. The previous concept, transcendence, emphasizes God's distance from us. This one talks about his nearness to us. We do not worship or pray to a God who is just way up there. The difference between this father and some of the fathers that maybe are represented in this room is this father is a heavenly father. He's a different type of father. Where there is absence, God is near. Where there is harshness, God loves. Almost anything that you would have experienced negatively with your father, God is the opposite of that. He is a heavenly Father. To be able to go to God as our heavenly Father signifies the end of fear because God protects. As a Father, He protects His children. It settles uncertainties. 
God is already ahead of us. He's already been there. He knows what's coming. We don't have to wonder or worry because God can be counted on to provide stability and hope for the future. It settles loneliness. In Hebrews chapter 13, the writer to the Hebrews quoted the Old Testament and quoted God and something he had said in the Old Testament, and he worded it this way, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And if, if when you read it in the way that it's written in the, the text, as, as the writer to the Hebrews wrote it, it begins with the word never in both of those sentences. It's not, I'll never leave you, I'll never, it's never. The emphasis in the sentence is on the never part. God will never forsake his children. He will never leave us. It settles loneliness when we know we have a heavenly father. It secures the matter of resources. You always go to dad if you want something, right? And if you can't get it from dad, of course, you go to mom. But between them, the resources are what we want as children, as teenagers perhaps especially. But having a heavenly father settles the question of resources, right? And it sustains a desire for obedience. Makes me want to obey this father. Because he's a different kind of father. So it begins with the background of a relationship. Then this this phrase, the beginning of this prayer, continues with a posture of reverence. Hallowed be your name. It's a word for holy. May your name be recognized as holy. Holy, because God is holy, completely, totally separated from any stain of sin or even hint of guilt. God is absolutely, perfectly sinless, and he is completely set apart, separate from us. And this isn't a prayer that God would be those things, but that he would be recognized as that being true about him. And the way it's worded makes it seem like it's urgent. We've got to stop for a second and think about this. We can't just move on because God's holiness causes reverence. What happened to Isaiah When he got a a vision of the holiness of God, he talks about his call, the call of God in his life. He describes it this way. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two he flew, and one crawled to the another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. What would be your response? This is the transcendent piece, right? Your response would probably be, and mine would be the same as Isaiah's. I said, woe is me. 
for I'm lost. I'm a, a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. He got this picture of the incredible awesomeness of God, and it drove him to his knees in humility, realizing, I have no right to be here. And God took away his guilt, which we just talked about, right? And once my guilt is taken away, then God said, and I didn't continue the passage, but now that I'm, now that I'm here, I can't skip it, right? In verse 7, God says... Whom shall I send and who will go for us? He wants to send the message about who he is and what he's done to the world. Then what's our response? When we have no business being here and then God takes care of the problem and says, oh no, you are welcome to be here. And then God says, I need a volunteer. Right? That's exactly what I, here am I, send me. Our response to this gets our attention off of ourselves onto the holiness of God, and it drives us to want to serve this God who we have no business being in a relationship with, but who made it possible for it to happen. It's incredible. This prayer is concerned in the first instance, says one writer, with the glory of God. Before we ask anything for ourselves, before we even look at the hallowing of God's name, the extending of his kingdom, the doing of his will... These are the issues we need to weed out and get rid of all that is self-centered in our lives. It's not just a matter of coming with our requests. It's coming with requests for things that will give glory to God. So there's a background of a relationship. There is a posture of reverence. And lastly, I see here a focus on God's character. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's a little different than in our days. We just, uh, our, our second grandson is due in about five weeks, and our kids were just here this weekend, and they have finally let us know what his name will be. And it means God has provided peace. I love that. We sometimes name children because of the meaning, but in the Old Testament, you always did that. Because your name had to do with your reputation. It had to do with your character. God knew that. And so in Exodus 34, when, uh, when God wanted to describe who he was, who he is is important, right? This is, this is talking about who God is. And Moses wanted to know that. And so you remember earlier in Exodus, he had gone up on the mountain and God had carved out the 10 words and given him what we know as the 10 commandments, the kind of the core of the law of God. And uh, Moses took it down and Israel had gone completely, completely run amok and and uh, Moses got mad and threw the tablets and broke them. And God said, when we get to chapter 34, come on back up. I'm going to make you another copy of those. And uh, so Moses went back up. And here's what happened. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, 
the Lord. It sounds a little bit like your mom, right? She says something and you don't respond and she says it again. And you know, this is really important for me to get, right? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God is just. He is holy, but he is merciful and gracious. That's who he is. Secondly, it's about what he does. Many of the names of God recorded for us in the Old Testament are kind of combination names. They are names that take one, uh, one name of God and combine it with some truth about what God does and help us to understand another part of his character. The most uh, significant name for God in the Old Testament is what we read translated the Lord. It's Yahweh or Jehovah. You may have heard it. Yahweh is just simply means I am. It talks about God as the self-existent one. Eternally, he has been. He always will be. And in eternity, you don't use terms like has been and will be. It is I am. And then so many other names are connected to that. Yahweh, Yira, Jehovah Jireh, we know it as. The Lord will provide. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Or in the 23rd Psalm, Jehovah Rohi, the Lord my shepherd the Lord who shepherds me, or one we would recognize even the, the Hebrew word, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. That's the things that God does. We honor him for who he is, his name, his character, and for what he has done because he shepherds us, because he cares for us, because he protects us, because he heals us. We go through the list of things that God does for us. All of this is why we trust him, but it's not just because we know his titles, but because we know his character. Psalm 9 and verse 10 is a really powerful phrase of scripture. Oh, I don't have it up there. Let me look it up. I got to read it for you. Psalm 9 and verse 10. I love this verse of scripture. Those who know your name put their trust in you. Those who know your character. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. When we come to prayer and we begin with uh, some formulation of our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When we begin to pray, we are talking about a God with whom we have the honor of a relationship, a God with whom we have the, the privilege of taking a posture of reverence. 
I know we're all uncomfortable with that, right? I, the first pastor I ever served with as an assistant a few years ago now, when he and I would pray together, we would always pray on our knees. And it took me a while to get used to that because it was just something uncomfortable. But I learned to appreciate the posture that reflected what should be the posture of our heart, right? Sometimes we lift our hands. Sometimes we bow. It's why we say, bow your head and close your eyes to our kids, because we want to give our attention to this God and keep our heart and mind focused. And we get to focus on the character of God. So let me give you a couple of thoughts to take home. And, and as I do, the team's going to come up. So, so as I said, here's, we're going to do things a little differently. We, you notice we only sang three songs. We're going to sing our fourth song after this. Uh, and it is a song I requested of Rachel to have the team do. And it is a song that sings about God being our good, good father. Because it's who he is. So I want us to sing and respond in our hearts to what we've just seen in the text. Then I'm going to come up and pray and we'll dismiss our service. All right, so four questions for you. Are you God's child? That's the gospel piece I talked about. If it's not true, if you've never come to a point where you've trusted in Jesus for your only hope of salvation, man, let today be the day. Come and talk to one of our prayer team members. They're going to kind of come up and be up here available during this closing song. And if you want to come, come on or catch one of them after the service is over. Uh, let us talk to you about that. Secondly, how's your prayer life? Man, I hope this really challenges us in our prayer life, that we don't just kind of race in and race out of the presence of God, but we take some time to come in thinking carefully about what it is that we're doing. Thirdly, how intimate are you with your heavenly Father? Do you view this as a relationship of intimacy, or is there a distance that you just have a hard time uh, overcoming? And then lastly, are you really trusting God? Because it's his character that causes us to trust. Those who know your name trust in you. Those who recognize the character of God trust in him. We have an incredible, worthy father. We get to come as a humble child. What an amazing thing, right? So I want to have you sing this song, right? I want to want to have you go listen to the words. And man, if you feel like you need to stop singing and just sit down and spend some time praying and worshiping between you and your heavenly Father, do that. That's okay. Uh, you respond, but let the song kind of guide guard your heart and guide your thinking as we close our time and remember the stuff we've talked about. Let's let this be an opportunity to really reaffirm our trust in God.